Good morning. Great to be back with you guys today. Uh, I am not 100%, but I'm enough to be here. Uh, actually, yesterday I woke up, Saturday I woke up, and I was feeling miserable. And I thought, oh no. So about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I called Eric Hoffman, and I said, Eric, I'm going to send you my sermon notes. Be ready. And uh, the great thing is I woke up this morning, and I'm not 100%, but I'm a lot better. God has just sort of revived some energy in me. And so I texted Eric, and I said, you're off the hook. And he wrote me back and said, oh, man, I was really looking forward to preaching this sermon. It's such a great text. So sorry, Eric, you don't get this privilege this morning, but... It is a wonderful text. It's a wonderful story. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. It's that text that Joe just read, the story of this Ethiopian eunuch coming to Christ, this mysterious man, and Philip, the way God led him very supernaturally to the place where he knew that this man was going to be, where God knew that this man was going to be. Now, we we mentioned already that the title of our series is Plan A. The church is God's plan A for the world. Why can we say that? Because Jesus is God's plan A for the world. Right? We wouldn't say that if Jesus wasn't God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. Skeptics will hear us say that, and they'll say, that's so exclusive. You know, how can you say that, that Jesus alone is God's plan for the world, and there is no plan B? Well, when you hear that, or even maybe in your own mind when you think that, I, I think it actually is an indication that you don't fully understand the core message of Christianity, which is the gospel. And this passage is going to help us with that this morning. It's one of my favorite narratives in the book of Acts. It's very simple. It's very straightforward, but it's it's alive, right? It's relevant to where we are. In fact, this story, you know, as we've gone through the book of Acts, there's several incredible moments as we've already traveled through eight chapters or so. This one, to me, really jumps off the page. It focuses on two men. One is a follower of Jesus, One is a spiritual seeker. You have Philip, the Jesus follower, and you have this Ethiopian who is the spiritual seeker. Now, here's what's interesting about these two men. They're actually both after the same thing. What is that thing? They're after life, just like you and me. They're after fullness of life. How can I be a part of something that's bigger than myself? What's my meaning? What's my purpose? What am I here to do? And and I would even suggest that both of them find life in this incident they find life in this story and in fact they find life really in the same way which is very interesting and there are lessons for us from both the christ follower and the spiritual seeker and i'm guessing most everyone in the room can identify with one of those two categories so if you're a follower of jesus what you're going to see in this text is philip's example teaches us that there's so much life available if we just open ourselves up to it if we have eyes to see what god is doing and then we say yes to it and we obey we take a step Now, if you're a spiritual seeker, and I know there are some in the room, and I think that's fantastic that you're here this morning out of church for whatever reason. Maybe your your wife drug you or your mom or dad drug you, but you're here this morning. And uh, as a spiritual seeker, you're going to see in this text, actually, through this example of the Ethiopian man, that, that, that we believe joy in real life is one step away. One step away. And that's what this... Uh, spiritual seeker found in our text this morning. Now, I said earlier, most everyone can fit in those two categories. Some of you are not a follower of Jesus. You would not identify yourself that way. You you would also not say you're a spiritual seeker. You're just kind of cruising through life or whatever, and and maybe spirituality is just not something you have a great deal of interest in. Let me say this. You may not be a spiritual seeker, but you are a seeker. What are you a seeker of? The same thing that all of us are seeking. You are a seeker of life. 
And, and not just life in terms of oxygen and breathing. Life that is true life. This, this sense of feeling like I'm connected to something bigger than me. I've got a purpose. I've got a meaning. I'm living in a way that feels fully alive. And the only difference between those that are spiritual seekers and those are, that are just life seekers are the life seekers are trying to find life in some non-spiritual way. The spiritual seekers are trying to find life in spiritual ways, you see. So if you're here this morning, neither a Christ follower nor a spiritual seeker, you're probably trying to find life in a career or entertainment or family or relationships or you know your money, or your success, your approval. There's all these different things that we try to go after for life. And interestingly, you, I think, are going to identify with the journeys of these two men as well. All right, so that's all intro. Let's jump in to this text. Um, let, let me just, by way of background, before we jump back in, um, remind us who Philip was. Uh, Philip was an early follower of Christ, a part of that Jerusalem church. In fact, if you remember back in Acts chapter 6, the 12 apostles chose seven men to help administer the tables to the widows. Uh, there, was, there was some um, uh, lack of justice in terms of how the food was getting distributed to the widows. So they chose seven men to help with this problem. Philip was one of those men. Another one of those men was a man named Stephen. You remember Stephen was the one that was killed. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. The reason that's significant is once Stephen's death happened, there was a big persecution that broke out against the Jerusalem church, and they were scattered out into Judea and Samaria, which is exactly where Jesus told them they would go back in Acts chapter 1. So the persecution breaks out. They're scattered. The result of their scattering, as Eric reminded us a couple of weeks ago when he preached this message, is the joy of the Samaritans who now hear the gospel proclaimed to them through Philip. And so we have this great passage back that Eric taught that talks about Philip being scattered, being pushed out of Jerusalem, ends up in Samaria, shares the gospel to Samarians, who, by the way, were a hated group by the Jews. And guess what? People start coming to life. People start coming to faith. People start coming to Jesus Christ. And the result of that is joy. The end of that passage says there was rejoicing in that city. Interestingly, our passage is also going to end with joy today. That's a little background. Let's jump in. I'm going to pick it up in verse 26. 25 just gives us a little bit of background on where we are. For the sake of time, I'm going to pick up the story at verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now, remember, he's in Samaria. Samaria is up north of Jerusalem. Now an angel is telling him, I want you to go to the south of Jerusalem, and I want you to go on this one road, this very particular road. And isn't it interesting that Luke goes out of his way to say it was a desert road? That'll come into play in a little bit. Verse 27. So he got up and went. Pause there for a moment. Let's not jump over that short little phrase. He got up and went. God told him to do something. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't what he had planned. I mean, he was seeing all this fruit in his ministry in Samaria. And one morning he wakes up and there's an angel. We don't know if it was a vision of an angel or, you know, he was seeing it, you know, face to face. But an angel told him, go to this road. Didn't say why. Didn't say what he was going to find there. Just go to this deserted desert road. So he got up and went. That's the main lesson of this text for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Philip is about to experience something amazing. 
Like actually something remarkable, something, I would even say miraculous is going to happen at the end of this uh, text, end of the story. He never would have experienced it if he had not gone up and went. If he had not heard God's voice and then not said, okay, I'm not sure if that was God's voice or not. Maybe I ate you know, too much uh, burritos last night, whatever. He said, no, I'm in. I'm going to go to this desert road. Don't know why. Don't know what I'm going to see there. I'm going. Now, I've been wondering this week, how often we miss out on some of the fullness of life for those of us that are followers of Jesus because we don't get up and go. And and you apply that to your own situation. Um, Here are some of the excuses we make. We'll hear a clear word from God about whatever it is, about being a witness of Jesus or moving from one place to another sometimes or changing jobs. Or or maybe, men, it's just that you need to dig in and and, and give attention to your marriage and your family or, or whatever it is. We hear a clear word from God from the scripture, and then we'll say things like, well, I'm not really sure that was God's voice, or I'm not prepared for that, or I'm, I'm really busy, or God's asking me to do something inconvenient. I will get to it later. By the way, this was not a convenient trip for Philip. This was a difficult trip. He had to go through or around Jerusalem. He didn't have any transportation. He had to go way out into the desert to on this road. Fullness of life in Christ comes not just through hearing God speak through the word, but then putting feet to it, obeying it, living it out, right? Not just knowing truth, but living it out. And I would say living it out in community led by the Spirit. That's how we come into fullness of life. Now, I want to keep going in this, uh, this verse, 27. Let's pick it up after that first phrase. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is very interesting. We'll talk more about this man in a minute. Let's keep going to, to verse 28. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now we meet the spiritual seeker. And I guarantee this would have been quite a sight for Philip. Okay, this man would have had an entourage, by the way. Don't think of like a, a Roman chariot with just like, you know, space for one person and, you know, one or two horses. This would have been a carriage, probably. That the word in Greek can mean uh, chariot or carriage. Would have had multiple people in it. Um, the, the man would not have been doing the driving. He would have had a driver. He would have had other people with him. He's an important figure. Now imagine Philip just standing by this road. Why did God call me here? And all of a sudden he sees a cloud of dust in the distance. What is this? Someone's approaching. As it gets closer, he's like, huh, it looks like an African man. And he's dressed in really fine royal clothes, and he's got all these people with him. Turns out this was an important political figure. We know from Luke's commentary here that he was the secretary of treasury of his country. That's an important position. He was a personal servant of the queen. By the way, Candace was not her proper name. Candace is a title. Sort of like Pharaoh in Egypt is a title. Candace in, in this Ethiopian region meant the queen mother. All right, and She had a lot of responsibility for ruling the nation. And this man she'd put in charge of her whole treasury. He was, you, know, you don't put someone in charge of your money if you don't have their trust. So this man had really kind of risen through the ladder in this Ethiopian household. We know he was a eunuch. All right, let's talk about that. A little bit awkward to talk about, but we're just going to dive in. It's in God's word, right? What does it mean that he was a eunuch? It means he'd been castrated. There's no other way to say it. Uh, Usually, this is quite interesting, this was a requirement for non-royals to gain power and influence in the royal household. 
Right? They had to be cut off, right? They had to be a eunuch. Why was that a requirement most times in these, you know, far eastern kingdoms? Well, there's a, a very simple reason. The male members of the royal family did not trust non-eunuchs to get close to the female members of the royal family. That's the reason why. So there you go, a little piece of trivia for your next party. Now, here's what I want you to see in this, and this is why this is so important. This man had worked his way to the top of this government at great personal cost to himself. Now, He's successful, he's powerful in his own right. He's wealthy, we know that because he's in a chariot. There's another reason we know that, which I'll explain in a minute. We know he's educated. We know that because he's reading. Guys, only a very small percentage of the population in the first century could read. You didn't read unless you were kind of on the the upper, you know, the, the, the royal class, so to speak. And this man had kind of been brought into that. He could read, which is very rare. How do we know he was a spiritual seeker? Well, Two clues. He was returning for, from Jerusalem where he had gone to work. Or sorry, not work, worship. Why in the world would an Ethiopian travel all the way, dangerous, long, perilous journey to Jerusalem to worship? He was almost certainly not a Jew. He was probably a, you know, an African man. I don't think he was part of the, you know, the scattering, the diaspora. I think he was an African man. That's the clue that we get here. Um, the Hebrews would have called a man like this a God-fearer. So they weren't Jewish, they were non-Jews that recognized Yahweh is the true God. And so this man had come to Jerusalem to come to the temple for some reason. God had led him there, or he was curious, or he just wanted to sort of fulfill a lifelong dream, and he found himself trying to access the temple. Now, why do I say trying to access the temple? There was a Jewish law that said eunuchs could not enter into the temple proper area. No one who had been sexually mutilated could enter into that area. We don't know if this man knew that before he left Ethiopia. But imagine, he may have left his home country to travel all the way to worship the God of the Hebrews, and he got there only to be denied access. And now he's traveling back. He's going home. He's on his way home. He's reading from an Isaiah scroll. This is the most remarkable detail of all. Guys, Individual people did not own Hebrew scrolls. It was extremely rare. All the scrolls were communal because they were so expensive. They didn't have a printing press. So you had to have a scribe painstakingly write every single word, copied from one to another to another to another. It would have been very, very unusual for someone to own an individual copy. Most copies were kept in the synagogue for a whole town. A town would have one copy, and this man somehow probably through great expense of his own, likely when he was in Jerusalem, he purchased to great cost an Isaiah scroll. Why would he purchase an Isaiah scroll? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Here's what I want to say now. This man had to really want to know God, did he not? He was a spiritual seeker. This is what Philip finds, a prominent African political figure, a eunuch, in a chariot, on a desert road, leading, reading from a Jewish scripture, and not just any Jewish scripture, as you're about to see. What are the chances? Well, the chances are actually pretty good, because God's in charge of this. Like you're starting to get the idea God's doing something special here. He's, he's aligning these things. There's no coincidences here. Let's look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, 
Go up and join this chariot. That's all the Spirit says, okay? And by the way, now it's gone from an angel leading him to the Spirit leading him. This is more familiar. You guys ever had just like a a prompting? You're just like, man, I just feel like God is calling me to do this. And by the way, you always want to cross-check that with God's word. I mean, he's never going to tell you to like, you know, go out and just waste all your money and you know, the lottery and, you know, whatever, you know. But, but would he tell you to sell all you have for the purpose of being used by him in some significant way? He might, you know. In this case, it's just a simple prompting. Go up to the chariot. Now, Philip is going to start to improvise, which, by the way, is exactly what you're supposed to do after you hear a clear word from God. He doesn't tell him the whole thing. He just says, go up to the chariot. Philip's going to take it from there. Let's see what happens here in verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? We know Philip's improvisational skills are really good because he asks a question. That's always a great way to engage a seeker. Ask a question. This is a particularly good question. Do you understand what you are reading? Think about the door that Philip just opened. Verse 31. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. By the way, here's a great lesson for you spiritual seekers out there. Notice what Philip, I'm sorry, what the Ethiopian man just did. He's a smart, educated, successful, powerful, competent man, but he wasn't too full of himself to ask for help. He invited somebody into the conversation. He could have said, well, I might not understand it right now, but I didn't get to the place that I got to because I'm dumb. I will figure it out eventually. Just give me enough time. And by the way, who are you to help me, oh, you one who doesn't even have his own chariot? (laughs) You see, but he didn't do that. He just said, help me. In a sense, he became vulnerable. He admitted his ignorance, right? He opened himself up for someone else coming in to help him, to come alongside him, to teach him. Spiritual seekers, you will not find the answers inside of you. They're not there. Like Nobody finds the answers inside of them. That's not how this works. The Ethiopian wasn't afraid to ask for help, to enter into dialogue and even friendship, even relationship with someone who could help him find what he was looking for. We never would have heard about this Ethiopian man had he not invited Philip into the chariot. Conversion, think of it this way, conversion always happens in the context of community. And those of you who are Christ followers, you recognize that. It's like, well, God used God's word and my mom. God used God's word and my college roommate. God used God's word and my friend. God used God's word and my grandma. You know, someone came alongside, a group of people often for most of us. This is how God works. Eric said earlier, it's the word of God, it's the spirit of God, it's the people of God coming together. And this is exactly what's happening here in this beautiful moment. Look at verse 32. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? 
Now, this is a very intelligent question. In fact, this question will unlock the whole book of Isaiah. And I don't know if the, the, the Ethiopian realized this, but I think there's something else going on. Think, think about what it meant to be a eunuch. All right? You're making a trade. The trade is you can climb the ladder in the royal palace. You can have close access to the royal family. You can get the prominence and the power and maybe even the wealth that's carried with that, but you've got to trade something else off. What are you primarily trading off in this culture? Future generations. That was everything to them. Your name was carried on through your children and your grandchildren and your heritage. That's what you're losing. Philip is reading about this man, Jesus, who was not a eunuch, but was giving his own future generations up, sacrificing them. Look back at the verse. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. I think the Ethiopian is finding some identification with this man. And he says to Philip, who's this talking about? Is this Isaiah the prophet or is this someone else? Who's the one? Now, this question is like a softball on a tee for Philip. Right? It's just like sitting right there and Philip's just going to take it home. What a beautiful question because the answer, of course, is Jesus. So look how Philip responds, verse 35. Beautiful verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. That's all Philip had to do. Like God set it up. God put the softball on the tee and Philip's just like, all right, it's Jesus. You know, that's what's going on here. The whole Old Testament ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And Philip used this verse as a starting point to talk about Christ with this Ethiopian man. By the way, think about the kindness of God to this African Ethiopian eunuch in giving him the resources to procure an Isaiah scroll and then bringing alongside Philip to connect the dots from the suffering servant to the true Messiah who had just lived and died and raised again in Jerusalem, where he just was a few years prior. It's beautiful. Verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37, you'll notice it's in brackets in the NASB. If you've got the NIV, they don't even include it. Why is that? Well, it's probably not in the original. Um, It's not in the original or the oldest manuscripts that we have. It was probably later added by a scribe who put in this baptismal formula, which is what 37 is. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So it may not be original, but it's true, right? Keep on going. Actually, let me pause there. This is the miracle moment, guys. And it's not just that they're in the middle of the desert and all of a sudden there's water. I can't tell you how rare that is in this part of Israel where they're, where they're traveling at this point in time. That's not the real miracle even. The real miracle is the salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch. Anytime someone is transferred from death to life, isn't that a miracle? And this one even more so. Even more so. Let me explain why. If you were to move from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 56, 
just three chapters later. In fact, you know, the, the chapter subdivisions were, were added later. So originally, you know, what this man would have been reading is just this big scroll, and you open up to a page, and they wrote in tiny little letters because they're trying to save this, this precious parchment that they have, which was very expensive. Probably within this man's frame of view is Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 to 5. Let me read these to you. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Pause there. What had just happened? This foreigner had gone to Jerusalem only to be turned away from the temple. It keeps going. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Now let me explain the metaphor. The eunuch is cut off from having children. You see the metaphor. He's a dry tree. Let not the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Why did the Ethiopian have Isaiah? Isaiah contains the prophecy of hope for the eunuch. He's searching the scripture to find life that he thinks has passed him by. And Philip comes along. He says, it's Jesus. And so this man puts his faith in Christ at this moment in time. And so you see this miracle of a 700-year-old prophecy fulfilled right here with this eunuch. You see, the Christian message is incredibly inclusive. All who come, all who come, no one will be denied. Anyone who cries out and says, I need salvation and I'm looking to Christ will come in. Verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Look at the end result of this whole interaction. Once again, it's joy. Philip woke up one day with a message from an angel saying, so go down to some deserted road because he obeyed, not just heard, because he obeyed, he was used as an instrument of joy to a man he'd never met before and would probably never meet again this side of eternity. You see, that's life, guys. That's the great adventure. Finding our purpose, our meaning, and being used as a vessel of grace, a vessel of joy to other people. I love the theme of joy in the book of Acts. Everywhere the gospel spreads. Joy spreads with it. As you are witnesses of Christ, you are carriers of joy. And that's the greatest joy of all, to be carriers of it, to be vessels of it to other people. might even say it this way, we will find the most life ourselves as we become carriers of life to other people. And life is only truly found in Jesus Christ. Now, for this text to really come alive for you, you have to find yourself in the story. Are you the Jesus follower or the spiritual seeker? 
or someone in the middle. Now, both of these, man, these men found fullness of life the same way, by hearing a clear word of God and then stepping out on faith. You might even say it this way. Their belief, their faith, found its way down to their feet. Philip heard a word from God, and he said, I'm going to that deserted road no matter what happens. I don't even know. God said it. I'm doing it. The eunuch heard a clear word from God through Isaiah, helped along by Philip, and he said, there's water. I'm in it. This is life, men and women. Don't just believe, but believe in ways that actually force you to do and live and obey and engage and find the joy that Christ has for you in this life. Which one are you? Either way, the secret to life comes down to the same thing, responding to God's truth and living it out. Living it out. Putting feet to your faith. Now, I want to show you an unbelievable example of this that happened right here in our body, right on the stage a few months ago. In November, Jeremy Haggart was baptized. And I want you to hear his story because when you hear the story and you think about the text that we just read, I think, you know, you're going to have one of these moments, right? So let's take a look at this video. Yeah, you can clap for that. Praise God. When I watched that video again this week, I thought, are you kidding me? It's the spiritual seeker and the Jesus follower. It's like Acts 8 come to life. And, and by the way, Jeremy and Rita are, are here, you know, in the service, wipe, wiping the tears off their eyes. Um, like, I want you to think of this from Jeremy's perspective, right? He's, he's seeking, and God brings about his Philip, like his Rita, right at the moment that he needs it. Rita didn't know that when she first met him. Now, think about this from Rita's perspective. I want to read what she said, and I want you to think about the context of a Jesus follower hearing a clear word from God, and then not just letting it stay up here, but putting it into her feet, putting it into action. Listen to what she said. I remember the first time that God spoke to me about you. I was recalling the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and I was struck by how much you resembled the Ethiopian in spirit. Here's the obedience part. So the next Sunday, I resolved to tell you that I found you in the Bible. And by the way, what a winsome way to start a conversation with a seeker. I found you in the Bible. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Right? Now, for Jeremy's part, God was gracious enough to speak to him through the word of God and through a follower of Jesus who connected the dots, who explained the scripture to him. The end result, fullness of joy. That's Acts 8, lived out. Now, why did that happen? You had two individuals that said, I'm not just going to hear, I'm going to do. I'm going to believe, I'm going to act. I'm going to step out in faith. Now, do you want life? Amen. Then we believe and we obey. We hear and we respond. We listen and we say, that's for me, I'm going to go. Now, There's nobody sitting in this room right now by accident. I believe that. Some of you may think, I don't know, that just sounds like something preachers say. Look, God put an Ethiopian eunuch on that road at that moment, and he called Philip. That road, that day, that moment, that text. Could he not be having you right here in this service, in this text, with this message, so that you would hear a clear word from God and then say, all right, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to step out in faith. 
Now, what, what might that look like for you this morning? Well, maybe you're Jeremy. Like, maybe you're the spiritual seeker. And, and you would say, listen, uh, God's been working in my heart. I just sort of sense it, but I haven't connected all the dots yet, but I'm at least willing to engage the conversation. I'm at least willing to step out into community. Maybe you already know, man, I get it. I get the gospel that Jesus came to live the life I couldn't live because I can't and die the death that I deserve because I'm sinful and was raised up to life and I want to have new life in him, but you've actually never put your faith in Christ. That's your step this morning, spiritual seekers. Here's the good news. Jesus was the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. Not just for the Ethiopian eunuch to have life, for you, for you to have life and have it abundantly. This could be your day. I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. How about the Jesus followers in the room? There's something, I know it is, because this is how God works. There's something he's laid on your heart that you're like, I think that may be God talking, but I'm not sure, and you haven't done it. Resolve to do it right now. Just do it. Be like Rita. I resolved I was going to tell him I found you in the Bible. Resolve to do it, and then let your faith flow down to your feet. Live it out. Maybe you've seen all these baptisms Eric talked about in the last few months and you're like, you know, I've never been baptized as a believer. Why not? Why not? Is there anything keeping you from being baptized? If you've put your faith in Christ but never been baptized as a believer, maybe you were baptized as an infant, you were sprinkled, etc., and you're thinking, you know, I think I've been baptized. I don't want to disparage my heritage and my childhood and my family, my upbringing. You would not be disparaging anything. Do you realize God used your heritage, your family? He used all of your journey to get you to the place where you're sitting right here right now. Is there anything stopping you from being baptized? Look, here you are today, You, me, all of us, we're moving along the dry desert road of journey with life and you've come to this moment in this space, in this text, in this sermon and let me show you one more thing you've come to. Look! Water! What would present, what would prevent any of you, any of you from saying, there's a clear command in Scripture to be baptized and there's a tub of water. Come. I'm serious. Like, I'm serious. You didn't come in here expecting to be baptized. Let's baptize you. Now listen, you might be thinking, I don't have a change of clothes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We bought some for you. We got t-shirts. We got black shorts. They're all in the back. You might be thinking, I don't have a place to change. Yes, you do. We've got changing rooms set up in the back. You might be thinking, I don't have anybody to baptize me. Yes, you do. We'll take care of that for you. You might be thinking, I wasn't ready for this. I'm not prepared. I haven't thought about this. Neither was the Ethiopian. He was coming down a road. He was like, I know who Jesus is. Now I recognize him. I believe in Jesus. And look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? We've done all the work so that nothing would prevent any of you this morning from being baptized. Don't think I'm going to wait till grandma's here. I'm going to wait to do it in the Jordan River in Israel someday. You don't know if you will make it that far. This morning, why not follow Christ in a step of faith and be baptized? And if you're a spiritual seeker, why not come forward just to have some dialogue? So Christ followers, come forward. 
Spiritual seekers, come forward. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything crazy and weird. But we will baptize you if you've put your faith in Christ. You can get wet this morning. No question about it. We will baptize you. So we're going to start a song. The song says, I believe. I believe. 30 times in this song, you're going to be saying, I believe. The question is, will you not just say it? Will you do it? Will you come forward and be baptized? So let's start singing. Don't wait. Don't wait. If God's moving in you, it's like, I think he's talking to me. Get up. Get up and go. Let's all stand to our feet and let's start singing this song. And Come forward if you want to be baptized. Just come on down right now.